And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Soccer Show and part two of our Premier League 2022-23 preview. Yes, much like the season itself, our preview is split in two. Previously on TSS, we covered Arsenal through Leeds alphabetically and now we're on the back ten, starting with a Leicester Fiesta and ending up with a Wolverhampton party, baby. In this episode, we'll be looking at the main title contenders most probably. We'll survey the chances of returning heroes Nottingham Forest and we'll look at how well the cracks at Man United have been papered over for this season. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's settling into a brand new home while preparing for the same old nonsense from his team, Man United, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. That is a depressing way to put it, but also an optimistic way to put it. I will take it, and that's accurate. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell. Joining us also, Taylor, we have a man who has the unenviable task today of telling us about Man United and their unpredictable <laughs> campaign ahead, Joe Lowry. Hello. Ryan, I think that was a really good question you asked about how well they've papered over the cracks, and I think my answer, this is a spoiler alert, is not well, but we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> It's, I guess it's, are there more cracks and do they need more paper is the question, Joe. We'll get to that later. Yeah, more paper. Definitely more paper. <laughs> Definitely so. Uh, rounding out our pack, a man whose starring role in the new Batgirl movie is sadly <laughs> never going to see light of day. Graham Rutherford, is that true? <laughs> yes, sadly. For context, for for listeners, uh, the Batgirl movie, which took over basically all of Glasgow city centre for a full month and was a very big talking point in Glasgow, has actually now been completely cancelled, despite the fact that they, they they completed filming, it was in post-production, but it's never going to see the light of day. That's how bad it is. Good good job, Warner Brothers, good job. I was uh, trying to think of what your role in a Batgirl movie would be, Graham. I came up with two villains. You could be two pies or the read me of fruit and vegetables. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or both, just, you know, sequels. I could do one after the other. That's right, that's right. Well, sadly, yeah, that footage uh, is remaining on the cutting room floor. What a shame, Graham. What a shame uh, for your city and for the Batgirl franchise. Anywho, um, before we crack on with the second half of our Premier League preview, some housekeeping to do. Graham, we have an exciting announcement. If y'all head to fantasy.premierleague.com, you will find the inaugural TSS Fantasy League coming after much demand. Yay! Um, So the code, if you wish to join, we'll put it in the show notes today and for the next few shows. It's R1MSGA. R1MSGA. If you want to join the TSS Fantasy League, 
Fantasy League, please do so. We're all going to be there. Joe Lowry is super excited about putting his team together. Is that right, Joe? <laughs> I am. Um, I actually do enjoy the process of putting together a lineup. I may or may not have had some difficulties with the process earlier on, but I'm hoping I'm just rounding into form and that I really will be a force this year, guys. I'm split on whether Joe actually likes fantasy because on one I hand, it's do. obviously very, it's very stats driven, but on the other hand, it's exceptionally reductive yeah. and is all about goals and assists and clean sheets. So maybe not for him. More than that, I'm just forgetful, but I will do my honest best to do my lineup every week for the month of August. And beyond that, it is gravy. There are Listen. many words I would use to describe Joe Lowry. Forgetful is not one of them. This is oh, all clearly is. a hustle. This is clearly <laughs> is a hustle. Yeah. He has like infinite fantasy research. He is well prepared. I'm not buying it, Joe. I'm not buying it. Joe is always right. well prepared. And uh, by the way, listen, of course, Joe is on the West Coast. It's a little early for him when we tend to record. So we dropped this news that he's got to put a fantasy team together. <laughs> and I was just true. picturing, you know, Ben Affleck with the cigarette standing outside the door just going. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I pictured I w- for Joe when we told him. I woke up to like 80 Slack messages and the last one being Taylor and Joe, you've got to join. And I'm not knowing what was going on. <laughs> Oh, I haven't even seen that Slack message. So thanks, Joe. Oh. There we go. All right, Fantasy League, if you want to join it, listener. In the meantime, let's get cracking into our previews. As a reminder, we're going to go through all 10 of uh, the uh, the final 10 alphabetical teams in the Premier League. We're going to keep it to about five minutes per team. And I'm going to go first, talking about Leicester City. Brendan Rodgers' side. I said something very rude about Brendan Rodgers on a recent podcast, which I don't wish to repeat. But uh, <laughs> he's doing quite well at Leicester. Got I forgot to- about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got into <laughs> eighth last season, just outside European contention. I think Leicester, guys... Might be one of those teams sort of straddling between qualifying for Europe and mid-table obscurity, or the Crystal Palace zone, as I've uh, now dubbed it. Uh, as we know, this Leicester team, when they're fully fit, they are genuinely as good as any other team. I mean, they're only one of two teams to beat Liverpool in the league last season, is the stat I was trying to get out there. Uh, they've got no Europa League distraction this season either, uh, so hopefully a bit more focus on the domestic game. Now, I'm just going to go through and read out all the incoming transfer... <laughs> Mm, okay, so it appears that Leicester are the only club in Europe's top five leagues to have not made a signing as we record. And it doesn't look like uh, they're going to any time soon from what we're looking at in the rumour mill. Uh, fortunately, so far, not too many notable departures for them. The team's looking roughly the same. But uh, as we record on Wednesday, August 3rd, things might change there because James Madison, star player James Madison, has been linked to Newcastle and they keep making improved uh, offers for him. Uh, Wesley Fofana, who I believe just before I recorded, has taken Leicester out of his Twitter bio. Rut roll. He's been linked with Chelsea. Uh, Yuri Tielemans has been linked to Arsenal. So there's a few of those core players who might not be with Leicester as the season progresses. And Brendan Rodgers is probably a bit frustrated by that. So it will be interesting to see if he lasts the season, I would suggest. He um, mentioned a rebuild at the end of last season. He ain't been doing any rebuilding, sadly. And uh, a lack of squad depth uh, might hamper Leicester's ability to crack the big six. Uh, So what do we know about Leicester? We know a lot about them. You know, uh, they like a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1, if you will. Mr. James Vardy up top. uh, Madison behind him. Indeedy and Tielemans in the middle. Castagna and James Justin out wide. uh, And you often have a back three of Sonju, Evans and Fofana there. As I say, some of those players might not be there by the time we kick off. Um... The big players I've mentioned there already, Jamie Vardy, we know all about him, but James Madison, we know about him too, but he has been absolutely vital in the last few seasons, particularly last season, 18 goals and 12 assists in all competition. He led the team ahead of Vardy 
in those stats. And um, Keenan Dewsbury Hall, who had a breakthrough season last season in central midfield, uh, broke through from the academy, made 28 appearances last season. And report, I didn't see their preseason game against Sevilla, but reports of a very good performance there. So it would be keen, uh, we'll be keen to see how well uh, Mr. Dewsbury Hall, which is a very fancy handle as well. I do enjoy that one. Uh, it will be good to see how he breaks through. Uh, a treat for Leicester fans this season because they can have a rivalry rekindled with Nottingham Forest, local rivals there, who you may recall knocked Leicester out of the FA Cup last year. Uh, they do have a tough run in. Um, Arsenal, Chelsea and Man United all coming in August for them. But hey, as I say, every team has to play at the other team. So it's all good. It will all balance out in the end. Uh, one final note from me on Leicester. My VSP, my very specific prediction is unfortunately for Leicester fans, is that I believe they will lose James Madison to Newcastle in the next month. And I believe they will probably finish in the bottom half of the table. Not by far, Ooh. but they probably will finish in the bottom half. I think Newcastle's £50 million bid is probably going to improve for Madison. It's going to be hard to keep all the elements of this team together. They can try and replace and rebuild, but uh, I think Madison's kind of irreplaceable for them. Graham, do you like my VSP? I do. I, I also agree that they might not be in for the best of the of seasons. And my VSP for Leicester, I know I'm kind of uh, spoiling the convention here, but my VSP is that uh, Graham Potter will be Leicester manager by the time the Premier League resumes after the World Cup. Yeah, that's a good here first. Yeah, Whoa. I think... A combination of struggling and Roger's frustration at the at the front office, I think, Graham, might, you might have it nailed there. Good, good call. Graham, Graham has gone optimistic for me, like, and I and I look forward to being uh, rejected out of hand. But Ryan, you're describing a club where the manager seems unhappy. Like, we don't know what's going to happen there. They could lose. It seems like a number of incredibly important players, none of whom have been replaced. If anything, that feels to me like they could be like surprise relegation strugglers. Am I taking that too far? Just it doesn't seem like there's a ton of reason for optimism there, though. I guess Graham Potter coming in would provide that strangely. I absolutely wouldn't rule it out, if I'm honest, Taylor. I could see them circling the drain 15th to 17th, maybe. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did struggle. It just depends how they kick off. It depends on the mood in the camp as well, doesn't it? We don't know um, about those kind of uh, intangibles at this stage. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all, Tay-Tay. Why don't we, Taylor, kick off, uh, or not kick off, go second with Liverpool. What do we know about Liverpool, Taylor? Quite a bit. Uh, Quite a bit, I would say. Uh, When last we left them, they were quite good. They did the domestic cup double, but they lost out on the Premier League title by one point to Manchester City, and they lost out on the Champions League uh, final to Real Madrid by one goal. So a very good season, but I would say not a great season. And that is something that uh, uh, Jurgen Klopp is very much hoping to change this time round. And I would say they are in a stronger position, in my opinion. Uh, They have obviously lost... I would say Sadio Mane is maybe the key player. They've all, like Nico Williams, uh, Takumi Minamino, a number of other players sort of allowed to leave for free or shipped off for smaller amounts of money. Sadio Mane was the one that uh, like very publicly wanted to pursue other opportunities. To Bayern Munich he goes. Uh, in comes Darwin Nunez, 23-year-old Uruguayan center forward, for a fee that could rise to £85 million, but based on what we've seen from him previously, and then that Community Shield game, it seems like not only will it rise to that, uh, but that it will be very, very good. It seems like another very smart move for Liverpool, um, who obviously can identify talent for relatively cheap, but also seem quite adept at knowing when they've got to splash that money and uh, that, like, and then backing that player to come good. They did it with Virgil van Dijk, and it seems like that's going to be the case with Nunez this time. 
There are other signings that I'm uh, particularly excited about. I'll get to those in just a second. Uh, because for those who, I guess, have missed out on Liverpool, uh, it, it's sort of what we've come to expect from them is what we will expect this season. 4-3-3, uh, very aggressive uh, pressing, lots of counterattacking play, but then obviously can possess the ball, have the technical ability to do so, but also have the individual quality uh, to... Basically, not allow teams to overload one side, not let teams double up on anybody. And I think Nunez really gives them extra versatility in that regard because everyone knows what Mohamed Salah is going to bring. And yet, even then, he still has record-setting seasons and goal-scoring ability. But now we've got Luis Diaz in there. We would expect him to be starting uh, on one of the wide attacking positions. And so you can't really double up uh, for fear of letting the other one have uh, the free run of things. I think Nunez is going to be a key performer. I think Roberto Firmino, uh, starting in the Community Shield, uh, looked good enough and what we've come to expect from him in terms of his link-up play. But the player that I think uh, could be poised for big things, and this is where my specific prediction comes in, is Fabio Carvalho, who I have forgotten the name of and Googled multiple times using the wrong name uh, because he is not Ivan Carvalho. He is not Ricardo Carvalho. He is not Fabio Cannavaro. I am choosing to believe that he <laughs> is the love child of those two. But Fabio Carvalho is a 19, soon to be 20-year-old Portuguese attacker they uh, brought over from Fulham for $6.5 million. And uh, joins up with Harvey Elliott, who I uh, played with at uh, the Fulham youth level of, as well. They've got a, an existing friendship. But Carvalho has just been... Kind of exactly what Liverpool would have wanted in a young player coming through. He's versatile in the preseason. He's played on the left wing. He's played as a number nine on occasion, and he's played uh, through the center of midfield. When he was doing that with Fulham, he was very involved in uh, creating many goal-scoring chances. He was a key figure in that attack for Fulham last season in the championship. Uh, has very good vision, keeps the ball really well, links up play really well. It's sort of all, all the things that Jurgen Klopp would want from an attacking midfielder for Liverpool. And so I, I think, though Darwin Nunez will get the headlines, justifiably so, I think Mohamed Salah will continue to be amazing for Liverpool because we've come to expect that. And just watching him in the Community Shield, he's just so very good and so good at keeping the ball, even with people on him and yet still finding passing options. I think plenty of love will go to those two. But I think uh, Fabio Carvalho, not Ivan Carvalho, almost said it there, uh, will... Uh, my prediction is get a combined 10, at least 10 goals and assists this season. Ooh. And for a young player who isn't necessarily going to start, might not even get that many minutes, uh, I, I look at somebody like Diogo Jota, who who did start uh, intermittently, uh, comes off the bench pretty frequently, but still managed, I think, 15 goals and three assists last season. So I think for Carvalho, who, when we've got... The two domestic competition, domestic cup competitions, that is. We've got the league. We've got Champions League. I'm going to guess he will get some minutes, and I'm going to guess against maybe some opposition, some weaker opposition. He'll score some goals and get some assists. But I also think he will be a key contributor for them against better clubs as well. I think it's going to be a very good season for Liverpool. I will acknowledge that I am maybe letting that performance in the Community Shield cloud things a little bit, but I've come around to the idea that I think they win the title this year. I had Man City first when we recorded yesterday. I'm going with Liverpool first today yeah. uh, after reading much more about them. Again, maybe recency bias, but Liverpool number one uh, and Fabio Carvalho, 10 combined goals and assists at least. Taylor, I, I think that's a good bet as far as Liverpool first in the league this year. City and Liverpool were basically neck and neck mm -hmm. last year. They both had historically good seasons, two of the best single seasons, and in general these eras have been two of the best eras for an individual team of all time. 
But I think Liverpool's a good bet for this year over City because I think, and Graham, you and I kind of talked about this with you leading the way when we talked about the, the, the soccer, all the soccer on Monday, with this idea <laughs> that it seems like Darwin Nunez will fit in not necessarily yep. better, but faster than Erling Holland at Manchester City and faster in a, in a still relatively short season where the margins are so th- thin between City and Liverpool. Faster could be the difference between a title and, and coming in second. So I don't know if Liverpool will actually win it, and none of us obviously do, but I think it's a pretty safe bet, and I, I would certainly go Liverpool over City right now. I think you're making good points, Taylor. I'm going to say that Liverpool have won the preseason merely by the photos from that fishing trip they all took. Uh, that picture of Darren Nunes, who appears to have negative body fat, I believe, yeah. <laughs> um, holding like a Jurassic-looking giant did fish. He, it, did he it, catch it with his hands? I think, yeah, I think he wrestled it out of the water, just uh, charmed he it out dived of the into the water and yeah. came out with that. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a VSP on, on this one. I think as the season progresses, that image will be used as a meme and the photo uh, the image of defenders and goalkeepers will be placed over that fish's head as a as a means of showing that he owns them and can wrestle them out of the ocean i have i have one more very weird very like pedantic thing with when it comes to darwin nunez i was listening to football weekly and they uh when they were reviewing the community shield game and they got into like a two-minute conversation about how like sculpted he is from a body fat perspective, but also that it's like, oh, he doesn't grow any hair on his abdomen, but he has like a little spot of hair on his chest. And what a weird sort of grooming pattern. And it like it that's a tattoo. He has a tattoo on his chest. I don't know why it annoyed me so much, but he has a very <laughs> large prominent tattoo that they somehow thought was body hair. Uh, so between that and his ability to catch fish with his bare hands while diving in like Aquaman, uh, I feel like Darwin Nunez pose, p- poised for a very strong season, but maybe also a weird season at the same time, and I'm here for it. It's a tattoo, Taylor, that says family. Lucky he's a family guy. <laughs> All right, let's move on to... Joe has uh, the same one. He does. Yes, I do. It's not on his chest, though. Let's move Ah. on to Manchester City. Graham Rutherford, tell us about the other main title contender. So City won their fourth Premier League title in five years last season. And at this point, they are the dominant force in English soccer. Yes, Liverpool are up there with them. But Pep Guardiola has built a title-winning machine since he joined them in 2016. Of course, it's a different story in the Champions League where City have repeatedly tripped up and still haven't been crowned European champions, despite that being the major focus. And spending about a billion pounds in the transfer market and the, tra- and the Champions League very much feels like the primary target once again this season. But that's not to say the Premier League isn't still important to City. And most, including myself, expect City to be up there at the top once again this season or, ne- or near the top, certainly. There are, however, some questions hovering around them after uh, an interesting summer. The blockbuster headline grabbing news is that Erling Haaland has arrived as the number nine City clearly needed. He was one of the most in-demand players in Europe, so it's a major deal for City, and it says a lot about their standing in the sport at the moment that they were they were able to get Haaland ahead of many of the other clubs, including Real Madrid and Barcelona and Manchester United and all these other clubs. Chelsea, I think, were linked as well. Um, however, as Joe has already referenced, we discussed on the show earlier this week the questions over how City will actually integrate Haaland into their team. 
those questions seem even more pertinent after the Community Shield when Haaland was isolated for quite a lot of the match. Even when he was making the runs, his teammates like Kim De Bruyne weren't playing the, the passes in behind for him. I fully expect that Haaland will come good as a City player, but it might take some time for him to, to settle in, as, as Joe was talking about there. Uh, to make way for, for Haaland in the squad, City sold uh, Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal and Raheem Sterling to Chelsea. This is a gamble for City, in my opinion. On average, Jesus and, and Sterling have been good for 30 goals a season over the last four seasons. That That's a lot of goals that City have taken out of their team. On top of this, it goes back to this, this point we've discussed about Manchester City regarding a change of approach. It used to be the case that City's verticality came from Jesus and Sterling in the wide areas. Or certainly that was the case last season when Jesus was moved out to the wing slightly more. Now the verticality is going to come from Haaland through the middle. So that's a, that's a shift that is about more than just one player. And maybe it, maybe it works. Maybe it takes City to that next level, but we've yet to see that. We've yet to see the solid evidence and there is some work for Pep Guardiola to do there. Haaland isn't the only signing City have made. They've spent £50 million to sign Calvin Phillips from Leeds United. He's obviously a midfield anchor, a defensive midfielder. He will be a a good fit for City in terms of how he plays. He's very technical. However, I think he might be a depth option because I I can't see him shifting Rodri from the starting lineup, and I can't see Guardiola playing, playing Rodri and Phillips together very often. I predict City will make one more signing before the window closes at the end of August. They allowed Alexander Zinchenko to leave for Arsenal. I personally think that was a bit of a mistake because he's just so versatile and he provided cover in a number of different positions, primarily at left-back. And his exit means City are really light at left-back at the moment. Um, They've been chasing Mark Cucurella from Brighton all summer, but it now seems that he's going to Chelsea instead. So I, I expect City will move for another fullback. They're normally very good at having a list of targets and moving through them very quickly. But right now, they are light of options in that area of the pitch. This season won't just be about players signed this summer either. I think there's going to be a greater focus on Jack Grealish. City, of course, paid a £100 million uh, Premier League record fee last summer to sign him from Villa. He didn't have the best of seasons last year, but uh, that was with a, with a good reason. He was playing in a different sort of team with a different sort of focus, but... Now he's had a year at City and City will really want to see Grealish become the difference maker that they, they signed him to be. So I think this could be a big season for, for Jack Grealish one way or the other. If he flourishes or, or, or he flops, I think a lot's going to be determined by his performances this year. I also think it's going to be a, another big season for Phil Foden. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne is still the, the player who dictates so much of City's play through the midfield. And you can pretty much go through this City team uh, from back to front, left to right and Almost every player is world-class. So Ederson, Yao Cancelo, Kyle Walker, who City missed big time when he was injured towards the end of last season, Ruben Diaz, Rodri, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Foden, Mares. It is a seriously stacked squad. And my very specific prediction concerns the depth of City's squad and the options they have. So despite Jesus and Sterling leaving, I predict that they will have more players reach double figures for Premier League goals this season than last. So it was just three players who reached double figures last season. Sterling was one of them. I think Haaland will replace him in the in the scoring chart, not necessarily in the pitch, but in, in the chart. Then I think Guardiola will try to push Foden into more attacking positions, almost as a strike partner at times for Haaland. So I think he will also get into double figures along with De Bruyne and Mares. So to recap, my VSP is that City will have more players reach double figures and goals in Premier League this season than last season. Well, Graham, once again, that was four minutes and 56 seconds. You are so good at this timing thing. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> a quick follow-up for me about Calvin Phillips. Uh, yeah. 
Man City, uh, sorry, yeah, Man City uh, uh, might have around 16 players at the World Cup. And I was thinking about him. As if, if he's going to be a depth option, has he killed his international career? I don't think so, but purely because I don't think Gareth Southgate will want to rock the boat too much. And he will be thinking about how integral Phillips has been for England over the last year and a half. Going back to the Euros, he was one of England's best players at that tournament. And I think we'll see Southgate pretty much keep the core of that squad together. And Phillips is very much part of that core. But if he's making decisions purely on his on his club career in the long term, then yeah, it could have an, an impact on on uh, his his England prospects because game time is not going to he's not going to be a, a regular fixture in this city team like he was at Leeds United. I still expect we'll see quite a bit of Calvin Phillips. Pep likes to rotate his squad, as FPL managers will attest. So he, it's not like he's going to be uh, stuck in a cupboard somewhere. He's not going to be Donny van der Beek or anything like that. But he, uh, yeah, it's, it's fair That's to say that maybe in terms, of, <laughs> in terms of his England career, he, he, he might find it more difficult to... Uh, to to persuade Southgate that he deserves a starting spot. The one the one positive I will add because I I had the exact same question about Calvin Phillips, Ryan. The one positive I think about is like he's a guy who seemed to genuinely enjoy playing for Marcelo Bielsa even at his most intense. And to me, that means he is okay with like very specific instruction and very high intensity instruction at that. So maybe he's just a very coachable player who will be okay playing under Pep and uh, will be okay with being like asked to do a bunch of different things and will just kind of nod his head and get to it. So maybe he ends up being a key Pep player, but that, that signing does feel a bit unnecessary. I don't know. He's just very, very good. It seems like he would have been just as good staying at Leeds, but what do I know? I'm not a world-class professional footballer yet. Yet, yeah. Important to say yet, Tato. <laughs> um, uh, looking back, oh, there's a Reddit thread of last year's VSPs, and I noted the Man City one. I can't remember who covered them. It might have been you, Graham. I, I do forget. But um, it's it was signing a traditional nine, in parentheses, Harry Kane, will directly affect how successful Man City season will play out. Oh, that was me. That, that was, was me. you, Taylor. So yeah. I presume the logic there was if they do sign a number nine, they're going to be great. They were great anyway without a number nine. So do we feel like with a number nine target man, it's going to be even better than last season? I see weirdly since I made that prediction I'll say kind of now the opposite is true that like as you just said it seems like they didn't need it it seems like they figured it out and it seems like it it brought together a little bit of harmistry a little bit or harmistry chemistry and a little bit of camaraderie <laughs> uh and and so to bring on Holland now I think it require it basically means like as as Graham said you're you have to tell other players like nope your surplus to requirement we need this guy you're you're prioritizing one player and to me that always begs the question how much are you prioritizing that player are you now asking someone uh, like Bernardo Silva, to do something different. He has additional responsibilities because Erling Haaland is getting a little bit more leeway. Like, I think it can be a disruptive thing. For as good as Haaland is, he may end up being a massive difference maker. But I, I, I just think there are there are more question marks around Man City than there are yeah. around Liverpool, which is where that prediction came in for me. And I, th- I, think, I think the key part as well, looking at your prediction last year, Taylor, is that the number nine City were chasing then was Harry Kane, mm-hmm. who felt like a much more natural fit just to put into that team and, and plug and play. Obviously, he likes to drop deep and dictate play, and I can imagine him as a City player maybe more than Haaland at this point. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that was the difference, was that we were talking about a player who would immediately improve that City team, whereas now they've gone for Haaland, who's, yeah, he's, he's, he's 22 years old, so there's a long time for him to adapt his game and become the superstar that everyone expects him to be, but there is going to be that transitional period. 
All right. Thank you very much, guys. Let's take a quick break. And when we return, Man United Fun and Games. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Premier League preview. We turn our attention now to Joseph Lowry, who's going to talk to us about Manchester United and the Eric Ten Hag revolution. Joe, as we speak, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo appears to be trying to claw his way away from the club in any way he can. Uh, What say you about Man United and their chances this year? So I say in general about Manchester United that I'm more interested in this team than I've been in a long time. And I, I know that doesn't maybe go for... For a lot of folks out there, I don't think Manchester United fans are are super thrilled with where the club is right now, nor should they be. But this really is, it seems to me, a new era. And if Manchester United can stay patient for just a little bit, I think there might be something here. And, and we'll talk about that later. My VSP is tied in with that. Last season, Manchester United finished sixth. They're not in the Champions League this year. They almost missed the Europa League, too. They finished just two points ahead of West Ham. And uh, if things had gone a little differently towards the end of the year, they would have been in the Europa Conference League, which I think would have been just incredible content um, for everybody involved. So that didn't end up happening. It was not a great season for them, though, very clearly. Three different coaches from Manchester United. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he was gone in November. Michael Carrick then took over as caretaker very briefly. And then Ralph Rangnick came in, and I was one of the folks that thought there was real potential in that move. And that did not really work out at all for pretty much anyone involved. I, I was going to say something mean about Chris Armas. Never mind. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> um, so now, wow, I got to get back on track. Now Eric Ten Hag is in charge with a squad that needs fixing. And that's kind of the thesis for this season. As far as if I was to describe Manchester United in one sentence, that is how I would do it. That's how I have done it. Stylistically, we know some things about Eric Ten Hag. We know how he played at Ajax, where he had a ton of success. He likes possession. He's not totally married to it. Uh, he's not going to out-possess City or Liverpool or Chelsea or, or even maybe a few of the other teams in the league. I think, generally speaking, they'll be in the upper third in possession, maybe a little higher than that. I could be underestimating. But they're going to be fluid. They're going to be aggressive if we see an Ajax-like system. At Ajax, Ten Hag played out of a 4-2-3-1 base shape the vast majority of the time with just a bunch of bells and whistles on top of that. It would be Urien Timber or Lissandro Martinez stepping forward into midfield with one of the other players staying back, almost like a stopper-sweeper thing, but mostly in possession rather than defensively. You'd have one fullback go high, one stay deeper. You'd have the wingers tucking in. you have the midfielders going and rotating in different spaces. I don't think we'll see all of that from the jump from Manchester United because that stuff takes time. It takes seasons, I think, to implement a lot of those principles, or at least longer than Ten Hag has had this offseason. But that's a rough idea. It's going to be aggressive in transition. There will be plenty of possession. In terms of key players, Ryan, you mentioned Ronaldo. He was their top scorer last year with 18 goals in the Premier League. He's still here. Will he still be here in a month? Um, Who knows? Probably. 
Probably. I Maybe not. I honestly do not know what's going to happen with Ronaldo. Either way, there is some some gaps up in the attacking line right now. Because we know Ronaldo's a limited player, if he's still involved in this team, he needs to be covered. And, and I don't know necessarily that Manchester United have the depth or the quality to do that right now. If he's gone, then there's 18 goals missing from this team. Maybe more, because you want to be improving on last year. Bruno Fernandes was second uh, in terms of scoring last year for Manchester United in the Premier League. And Jaden Sancho, I think, could be in for a really big year on the left. He's an incredibly talented player. If we see... 75% of Borussia Dortmund, Jaden Sancho, then it's a whole different ballgame in, in some ways from Manchester United on the wing there. Looking at the transfer activity, Paul Pogba is gone, so that era is over. Hopefully we'll see more of him at Juventus. Jesse Lingard is gone, and Matic is gone. And, and really, Pogba is the biggest absence there, the biggest uh, outgoing move. And then coming in, you have Alessandro Martinez, who's, who's mostly a centre-back coming in from Ajax. We talked about him plenty earlier on this summer. And then Tyrell Malasia is a 22-year-old left-back from Feyenoord, someone that certainly Eric Ten Hag will know well from coaching and, and coming up against him. And then Christian Eriksen, who folks know very well, 30-year-old attacking midfielder coming in from Brentford. Manchester United are still very much looking for that one thing that has seemingly eluded them for so long, and that is a holding midfielder, a central midfielder, a central defensive midfielder, whatever you want to label it as. Frankie de Jong apparently would rather play for Barcelona for free than play for Manchester United, it looks like. So that still hasn't happened. Apparently, Man U is in for Ruben Neves, which I think would be a decent move for them. But there still needs to be improvement there. The only thing that's happened in terms of that spot is that Pogba and Matic have gone. Two of the options to play in the two line of the 4-2-3-1 are gone. So Manchester United will certainly find one of those players. The question is when and the question is how good are they going to be? Is it an option that that fits Ten Hag's system? I don't know what that's going to look like, but keep your eyes on that. uh, And I think we'll certainly be doing the same as we watch more of Manchester United starting this weekend. My VSP, fellas, is that there will be at least two articles in The Athletic about how Eric Ten Hag needs to go by the end of the season. And it doesn't have to be The Athletic. It, maybe that's a bad example because I think they do a pretty good job of, of being nuanced in some of the takes that they have. This could be anywhere. But the general point is I, I think we're going to see a lot of it's not working. Why isn't it working? Why hasn't Eric Ten Hag fixed it? He's not the man for the job because it's not automatically better than it was six months ago. And I think that's going to be the general tone, and I think it's going to be one of impatience. But I also think that Eric Ten Hag is a good manager. I think he's going to need time. And Manchester United, like I said earlier, I think should give him that time. It's not going to always be pretty, and I'd wager we aren't going to see real improvement until the squad has had one, two, three transfer windows, maybe coming into next season. We're talking about Manchester United as contenders for the Champions League. Maybe it's going to take a little longer than that. There's a big gap, in my view, between this squad, certainly between Liverpool and and, and City and Chelsea, and maybe even Tottenham and and Arsenal improving their squad too. So it's going to take time. Things are on the up, I believe, for Manchester United, but just be patient. So my VSP is people aren't going to be patient, but they should be patient. (laughs) Taylor, Taylor. patience and Man United, they don't go hand in hand, do they? No, but I think they should, and I think Joe is right. That I think Eric Ten Hag thus far has ticked a lot of the boxes, if not all of the boxes, for me, and I think he's handling the Ronaldo situation about as well as, as can be expected. There is a little bit of a red flag for me in that he sort of has been left to deal with a lot of what's been happening, and that does seem like a thing that kept happening last season is the manager had to answer questions because the front office wasn't. And I, and I think this is not 
played out very well. It seems like Ronaldo was trying to say, like, oh, no one knows what they're talking about. I want to be there. I'm happy at the club. And now it seems pretty clear that he has not been happy and does want to move. And I think Ten Hag is trying to balance that as best he can. But that sort of sideshow aside, yeah, I think he's a very good manager. I think he has a great pedigree. I think he speaks pretty directly and has very clear ideas about how he wants his team to play. Again, I really love that that one little clip of him yelling at David De Gea for kicking it long, and that just feels like the growing pains that you expect when a, a manager comes in and wants to change things up, wants the players to keep the ball, keep it at I love their that feet. Clip. Yeah, right. And and it reminds me of of Arsenal when Arteta took over, and there were just those moments of like, ooh, this goalkeeper. I think I can't remember if it was Petr Cech who could not handle back passes, but it was you just have those moments, and I think Man United will have them. I think there will be voices. Probably English voices saying this foreign manager doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, that will be at least part of it. But I, I think those voices will be uh, misguided because I think he, Ten Hag requires a little bit of time. And I think the way they've gone about recruiting recruitment, recruitment this summer, whew, easy for me to say, uh, is is good, but certainly not where they need to be. And I think it's about building the team so that they can kind of have that core squad to then add the key pieces next year or maybe in January, but probably next summer, to then continue to compete. But I think expecting them to even compete for top four right now isn't really an expectation I have, and I'm not sure it's one that other fans should have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mid-table then, yeah? I mean, I hope not. I would. I would hope for, like, being around top four, like I would love that to be a, ooh, they might end up like pipping somebody to top four. I think top six to top seven is is probably more realistic. Maybe I'm being too pragmatic or too boring, but I, I just think the, the teams ahead of them are ahead of them for a reason. And there's so many issues that still have to be worked out. It's tough for me to see them really catching fire. If Ronaldo leaves, I actually think that makes them a stronger team and a better team and a more cohesive team, and it gives mm-hmm. them sort of a rallying point for the season. If he's there sulking and kind of doing what he wants to do, a la like Alexis Sanchez in his final days at Manchester United, I think that does not bode well for the rest of the season. I, th- I think if United get De Jong, that changes a lot. And ordinarily, having chased a player for so long, at this point I would be imploring a club to look at alternatives. But I kind of agree with Ten Hag that De Jong offers United everything that they need. And obviously he has a personal relationship with De Jong as well. So if they get De Jong before the end of the window, I'm still not convinced that pushes them into the top four, but I think it gets them closer and at least gets them in the discussion. Although this late in the window, it's not ideal that uh, Ten Hag would have to integrate De Jong while the season is happening. But I still think he's a bit of a game changer if they can get him. Naive as it may be, I, I don't disagree, Graham. And I really, I will own that this might be my bias. It probably is. But I don't really buy the idea that like, oh, he hates Manchester. He hates it so much. He might dislike the idea that that club is dysfunctional. I really do believe it boils down to he feels like he is owed money. He feels like his name has been slandered by Barca, that it's kind of been made the the picture has been painted that he is this like money hungry player who's like like holding the club to ransom when in reality it's like no you all agreed to pay him this now you haven't paid him this he went he was generous enough to defer his salary and you're now trying to sell him on without having to pay him and I think he's kind of standing on principle maybe he doesn't love the idea of Manchester maybe he wants to play Champions League or doesn't want to be part of a rebuilding process but I agree with you Graham that if it were any other player I think or any other situation I would think nope time to move on I don't want this anymore this isn't a good idea in this yeah. situation, I don't really buy into the idea that it's just him hating Manchester Manchester as uh, much as it is the injustice of it all. 
put it this way, Ten Hag and De Jong have a personal relationship. The Athletic reported a, few, a little while ago that they have spoken at least mm-hmm. once a week since early May. Uh, if Ten Hag hasn't gauged whether or not yeah. De Jong will actually sign for Manchester United, that is a new level of incompetency for Manchester United. And I I don't have him down as incompetent. So I think when it if it comes to it, De Jong will sign for Manchester United. It's just all the other stuff that needs to get sorted out. All right, then. Let's move on to a team who might even aspire to finish above Manchester United this season. The richest team on the planet, Newcastle United, who finished 11th last season. Their sixth consecutive season in the Barclays, this will be. Uh, They will surely be aiming, as I mentioned, for a top half finished at the very least, given their resources and expectations. Uh, They ended last season very strong, of course. Only Liverpool and Man City and Spurs picked up more points in the calendar year of our Lord 2022. Uh, So by by that logic alone, a top half finish is on the cards for them. Uh, We know, of course, uh, this is their first season under um, Saudi uh, ownership from the public investment fund they took over in October last year their aim as stated is to be a- uh, aiming for Champions League to be competing in the Champions League within five to ten years so we're only on year two of that but uh they are going to be making that push uh, they haven't gone nuts in the transfer market um Matty Target's coming from Aston Villa for 15 million uh Nick Pope from Burnley for 10 million uh from Lille they've got the centre-back Sven Botman he was uh 35 million to shore up the defence no forwards as of yet which one might expect uh, a forward or two to come in they probably are needed but as I mentioned they are also looking uh, for that number 10 for James Madison to come in as well all quite sensible from Newcastle not going mad not PSGing up at the moment so to speak sensible in the way that maybe Man City did their build back when they did and it's a weird feeling for Newcastle fans at the moment excitement optimism these things are not things they are used to feeling the Geordies no Mike Ashley anymore unlimited funds and a fun team who are adding talent we've got this Eddie Howe brand of soccer which is a lot more fun suffice to say than the Steve Steve Bruce uh, brand of soccer they had before we've got a nice positive 4-3-3 which we tend to play under Eddie Howe the players to watch I would suggest uh, Bruno Gomeris who looked very promising when he came in last season ended the season very well as well the Brazilian is one to watch for me Alan St. Maximin who we know all about as well had a very good season last season and Kieran Trippier at fullback is another name of course we will know I'm keeping this one snappy I'm going to get to my VSP my very specific prediction uh, their man up top tends to be Callum Wilson I'm going to say he won't be Newcastle's top scorer. Um, He got eight goals last year. He was their top scorer last year with eight goals. I expect their top scorer to get more than that this season. I would expect it to be Sir Maximin coming in from the left or maybe even Gamarish to get um, a higher score level than Callum Wilson, who tends to pick up an injury or two, so may not play the full season. And it surprised me that he's never topped 14 goals in the Premier League in total, even when he has been playing the full season. So Callum Wilson... If they do spend more money, I would expect them to try and get um, another a man up top. So Callum Wilson, I'm going to say, um, I, I feel like I'm personally attacking him now, but I don't think he's going to be Newcastle's <laughs> top scorer. Take that, Callum Wilson. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Callum. I didn't mean to be mean about you. I'm just saying that I think that the resources might be might be spent there. Is that fair to say, Graham? I think so. Newcastle seem to have, have targeted a centre-forward. Uh, they went for Ekatike. I can never pronounce his name. He went to PSG, of course. Then they were linked with Timo Werner. He's gone to uh, RB Leipzig on loan, it seems. So I actually agree with you that he won't be the top scorer, but I, I reckon it might be someone who has yet to sign for them that will actually be their top scorer. Mm, Kylian Mbappe, that's right. We shall see. We <laughs> Benzema. Shall see. 
<laughs> Benzema, possibly. Uh, time shall tell, but they probably are not done with the old spending at the moment. Taylor, why don't we turn our attention to Nottingham Forest, the two-time European Cup winners. They're back, baby. Last seen in the Premier League in 1999. Pierre van Hooydonk fans, eat your heart out. They have spent a lot, a lot of money, Taylor. Yeah, they have, my friend. And you're right. It's been 23 years. They are back. How did they get here? They finished fourth in the championship, third best goal scoring record, second best defense, which is a positive sign for me because it wasn't like they scored a million goals, but also conceded like 999 goals or 999,000. Uh, it means they're, they're pretty balanced. They snuck past Sheffield United on penalties, then won the promotion playoff courtesy of a Huddersfield own goal. But how they'll stay here is via money, as you said, Ryan. It starts with their owner, uh, Evangelis Maranakis, Greek businessman and politician, bought the club in 2017, has very much helped fund their revital- re- revitalization, uh, helped uh, rebuild their stadium, renovate their stadium. But then also they have spent a ton of money this summer, over $100 million alone. That includes striker Taiwo Awani from uh, Union Berlin for about 18.5 million pounds. Right back Nico Williams from Liverpool for 17 million pounds. Uh, Oral Mangala, the midfielder from Stuttgart for 11 million. Uh, there's Julian Biancone from Troy. There's Musa Niankate from Mainz. Omar Richards from Bayern Munich. Harry Toffolo and Lewis O'Brien from Huddersfield. That's naming just a few of the actual signings. Then we've got Wayne Hennessy and Jesse Lingard coming in on freeze, Dean Henderson on loan, and you're getting a pretty much new squad for Nottingham Forest. Uh, I think I'm correct in saying that of that team that started the playoff final against Huddersfield, likely only four, maybe five, but likely only four of the players that started this that game will be starting this weekend because you've had so much change to this team, and that includes players that were on loan, that they pursued in trying to make permanent, that they were unable to do uh, to do so. So you're basically getting a new squad that manager Steve Cooper is going to kind of blend and mold into the team that he wants. I think they've done a good job of setting the stage for that. They've played seven preseason games, uh, many more than many other teams uh, have played, because they've got to get those players sort of bedded in and playing the system that Steve Cooper wants, which is high-intensity, high-pressing, very aggressive, very entertaining. And I think that's exactly how they will be. But it's always difficult when you've got new players coming into a system like that and how quickly you're able to get them on board. Uh, But it, it does help that Steve Cooper has the backing of the team, the backing of the fans, because he took over last season when they had one point from their first seven games, were near the bottom of the table, did not seem like they were even going to stay up, let alone challenge for promotion, let alone get promoted. So I think that he was able to kind of lead that resurrection, get everybody on side, I think spells positive things. Unless, of course, you are a CONCACAF fan. Uh, Ethan Horvath, the U.S. goalkeeper, has gone on loan from Forrest to Luton Town because it didn't seem like he was going to be involved in the starting goalkeeper conversation. Similarly, uh, Canadian Richie Larea likely to go on loan because he's not going to get many minutes either this season. So Nottingham Forest, like the Premier League, do not like CONCACAF. They do like paying Jesse Lingard a lot of money. Uh, That is the big signing that they've made. He's got a one-year deal for about £200,000 a week, which is no small sum when, when it comes to a promoted team. But he was... It's sort of the amount of money necessary because uh, West Ham were the most likely destination for him. They, I think he wanted 180,000 pounds a week. They offered 150. And so I think to kind of turn his attention, Forrest had to go above and beyond. And I think it's a deal that ultimately makes a lot of sense. It's going to be about 10 million pounds for him 
in total because there was no transfer fee, but it's a one-year deal, as I said. So if it doesn't work, you're sort of free of him. You don't have that salary around your neck. But if it does, then you're a Premier League team. You can renegotiate or you can keep him if you want to, but I think it gives them sort of a very creative player that they need, uh, and it gives them a player who will be very motivated to potentially make that England World Cup squad and then in the second half of the season to either justify that payday or get a new payday. So... I think it makes a ton of sense, but that is not the player that I'm focused on. The player that I'm focused on, Joe, first I will ask you, have you heard the name Brennan Johnson before? No. I figured not. Well, get ready to fall in love, Joe, because that is my specific prediction. Joe will fall in love with Brennan Johnson. 21-year-old forward, uh, born in Nottingham, but plays internationally for Wales, so he will likely be at the World Cup. Scored 16 goals last season, was the uh, leading goal scorer for Nottingham Forest. It is his defensive work rate that I think will will first turn Joe's Joe's head, will first get the the hearts flashing in Joe's eye because he works so hard to win the ball back to counter press. If you look at his highlights uh, on Y Scout, you'll see among among his best actions routinely is tracking back, winning the ball, and then immediately attacking goal, looking for a pass, not always looking for that shot, which I like. But he's a He's an expert at the hook tackle, that sort of sliding in, winning the ball, and the player keeps going or falls over the ball, and then he stands up and dribbles the opposite way. I think his stats and his style will make Joe very happy. I think Joe will end up falling in love with Brennan Johnson, and I think Nottingham Forest, despite the change in players, I think the ownership is solid, the manager is solid, there's a ton of talent there. I think Nottingham Forest stay up, and the conversation seems to be that 17th is okay, but they'll be targeting above that. I think they will end up finishing 17th uh, at the lowest, and I think it will be a good season back in the, in the, uh, the league for Nottingham Forest. Nice. Very nice, Taylor. Uh, on, on Brennan Johnson, he scored his first career hat-trick against MK Don, so I love him already. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, quest- a question, Taylor, for you. Do you know if Brennan has a stepbrother called Dale and they have a large bedroom where they can do activities in it? <laughs> well, I think that's what allowed him to really like build his game. Is that once they bunked those beds, there were so many more rooms for there was so much more room for activities for samurai swords to be involved. That yeah, I think it, it led to kind of skills in combat, skills in physicality, and thus yeah. he will be uh, number one in Joe's heart. I hope he Prestige respects drunk worldwide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay, good stuff. Nottingham Forest taking a different approach. He does love good housekeeping. Say- I should add that is his favorite magazine. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness me what a movie Joe, Joe's Joe getting all so these references idiot. every yeah, single I am, one of them I am I'm actually just watching Brennan Johnson highlights he does look he looks good he looks good we'll see if the love sets in though Taylor I don't need uh, I don't need your I don't need your passive he looks good Joe don't fight no. it don't fight love Joe just accept love into your heart okay <laughs> and give me my lo- prediction I lo- point I love him I love there we him. go there, there we go, go. It already came to pass. Um, Nottingham Forest taking, a, as you mentioned, Taylor, a different kind of a different turn to say Bournemouth in their approach, spending lots and lots of money rather than relying on a core of players. We've seen ambition. Both, yeah, we've seen it, it represents ambition, Graham, but we've seen both approaches kind of fail and work, we haven't have. we? So it's interesting that they've gone very yeah. much one way, whereas Bournemouth have gone very much the other, Taylor. I remember it must have been back in 2018 when Fulham got promoted to the Premier League that year. And they, I think they also spent about £100 million in the transfer market and they got sent straight back down to the championship. And they, it feels like they haven't made a single signing since. So um, hopefully that, do, that fate doesn't befall but, uh, Nottingham Forest this season. Uh, can I just say about Forest, I'm, maybe it's because they were a, a quintessential Premier League team when I was 
getting to to know football when I first started watching the Premier League. But I'm I'm delighted to see them back in the Premier League. They're just they're they're a, they're a very big club, obviously with a lot of history. They're they're former European Cup winners, and it just felt a bit strange, much like Leeds United, that they were exiled from the Premier League for so long. So I, I'm I'm pleased to see them back. Excellent stuff. Graham, let's move on to talk about Southampton. I mentioned earlier that hinterland, the corridor of uncertainty between 9th and 16th, in which I called the the Crystal Palace zone, it could be called the Southampton zone, couldn't it? It could be. And and Southampton, they're a funny team. So there's no denying they can play some really good football. Ralph Hasenhutl has has received a lot of praise for the way he gets his team playing. And there have been times when Southampton have appeared on, on the brink of making real progress and, and pushing deep into that top half. And then there are other times when Southampton have been absolutely rotten. And towards the end of last season, there was a, a period when, when they were nervously looking over their shoulder towards the, the bottom three. And in the end, they did they did finish 15th. They lost, I think, their final three or four matches But that was only five points above the relegation zone. And there is definitely still a nervousness around the club heading into this new season. The defence has been a concern for for Hasenhutl for quite a while. And not just because it's customary for Southampton to suffer an 8 or a 9-0 defeat at least once a season. They conceded 67 times in 38 fixtures last season, which was the third highest amount in the Premier League. And uh, that just puts a lot of pressure on their attack to produce the goods. And you do wonder if that sort of defensive record might catch up with them at some point. James Ward-Prowse will once again be a a very important player for Southampton. He struck double figures for goals for the first time in the Premier League last season, scoring 10 times. He also contributed five assists. So it's fair to say he is the, the creative hub of this Southampton team. There was a bit of interest in him last season, so it's good news for them that they've managed to to keep hold of him. He signed a new long-term contract as well. Of course, a lot of those goals came from set pieces. Get him in your FPL side, people. Bit of advice there. Joe, are you listening? I am. Uh, but he's he is very he's also very good as a as a deep lying playmaker. Um so as I say, he is the creative hub of this team. Going back to that defensive record and and, and the pressure that it puts on their attack. That is a concern, given that only three players scored more than four Premier League goals last season. One of them was Ward-Prowse, another one was Che Adams, Scotland international superstar, and the third player was Armando Broja. Broja was one of the, the, the breakout stars in the Premier League last season. He he only scored six goals, which was surprising to me when I went and checked his, his goal-scoring record, because it felt like the impact that he made was much greater than that. He was very effective in Hassan Hüttel's 4-4-2 shape. And he really underlined his status as one of the most promising young strikers in English football right now. There's only one problem for Southampton. He was on loan from Chelsea and it doesn't seem like he is heading back to Southampton anytime soon. So that is a, a significant hole in their attack. They, they have been pretty busy in the transfer window this, this summer. They've spent around £50 million on new players. They spent £12 million on the signing of Gavin uh, Bazanu from Manchester City. He will be their new first-choice goalkeeper. Anyone who has watched the Republic of Ireland recently knows just how good he can be, so I think that's a solid addition. Bazanu isn't the only City player that Southampton have poached this summer. They've also uh, signed Romeo uh, Lavia, who is a, a, a midfield anchor, a defensive midfielder from City. He's actually very highly rated, and it was a bit of a surprise that Southampton were able to get him, but City... They're pretty well stocked for defensive midfielders, as we've already covered in this show, so it makes sense that he's looking elsewhere for some game time. Uh, Seku Mara has arrived from Bordeaux, not a player that I am familiar with, but he's an 18-year-old forward. I guess he might be the Broja replacement, although of what I have seen of him, 
admittedly just off YouTube highlights and Y Scout clips, but he he looks very raw, so maybe don't expect him to to hit the ground running. Then there's the signing I would be most excited about if I was a Southampton fan, Joe Rebo. So obviously, Rebo is a player yeah. I've watched a whole bunch of during his time in Scotland with Rangers. I'm a big fan. Before anyone says Scottish football is like Quidditch, Aribo was one of uh, Rangers' standout performers in the Europa League last season, so he has proved himself at a high level. Keep in mind that Rangers made it all the way to the final. He was also very good at AFCON earlier this year, even though Nigeria didn't do all that well. He scored this incredible goal in pre-season for Southampton, where he basically just dribbled through the entire opposition and, and finished it off. Don't expect that on a weekly basis, but Aribo is a very good ball carrier. He's versatile. He can play in a deep lying role, or he can play as a sort of number 10 behind a central striker. He's comfortable drifting out into the wide position, so I think that versatility is going to be very important, particularly with the, the double pivot that Southampton like to play in central midfield, where they ask a lot of those central midfielders, and I think he's a real steal at just 10 million pounds i think that could be one of the the deals of the summer in the premier league and and my very specific prediction actually concerns aribo he was one of the most prolific dribblers during his time in in scotland and i think he will be asked to do that job again for southampton this might be a bit of a gimme given that southampton don't have many natural dribblers in their team beside kyle walker peters but my vsp is that aribo will register more dribbles per game than any other southampton player this season Good stuff. Thank you very much, Graham. And listener, by the way, if you were ever thinking of visiting the UK to catch a Premier League game, Southampton is an excellent city. I lived there for three years, but the stadium is in a dodgy part of town. Be warned. Um, is let- it not in like an industrial estate or something like that? It is, yeah. There is some nighttime <laughs> activity around there, Graham. Is there I'll, a uh, pool or not, Ryan? Just tell the people what they want to know. There is uh, lots of... It, it, it's on the coast, if that helps. Yeah, it's called the English Channel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good <laughs> enough ocean. for me. There's a channel. Yes, indeed. All right. We've got three more teams to cover. Tottenham, West Ham and Wolves. We shall be doing so after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Premier League preview. It's Tottenham, it's Tottenham time. Joseph Lowry, tell us about Spurs and their first full season under Antonio Conte. They've made some big moves. They have. So last year was a solid season for Spurs. They finished fourth in the league. Probably a a better season than some would have hoped for. But also, I think there's room for so much more in this team. They were squarely fourth in a lot of key metrics. They were fourth in goal difference. They were fourth in expected goals differential. They were a good team last year, just not quite a great team. And I I don't know if they're going to be able to make that jump this year. But I do like some of the moves they've made. So we're going to come back to to some of that stuff in just a second. In terms of style under Antonio Conte, we kind of know what we're going to get at this point, right? 52% possession last year, which put them ninth in the league. Conte doesn't possess all the time. He's happy to attack in transition. This team didn't press like crazy in the attacking third. Most of their pressures came in the middle third, then the defensive third, then in the attacking third. So that's that's the the hierarchy there. We're going to see a lot of a 3-4-3. We're going to see a lot of a 3-5-2 from Tottenham. They have, and Conte in particular, has the advantage of a really flexible group of of forwards. And when I say that, I'm thinking of three players in particular. Son, Harry Kane, and Richarlison. And I'll talk more about Richarlison in just a second. Son was their top scorer last year, 23 goals. I mean, he was just brilliant in the Premier League. Uh, you know, deserving of many, many awards. He's a Golden Boot contender again this year, no question about it. Harry Kane didn't end up going to City, so he scored 17 goals for Tottenham last year and is also a Golden Boot contender. That's just how this game works. Harry Kane is a very good soccer player, despite uh, some of the criticism that he gets from time to time. And I mentioned Richarlison before. He's a new signing, but was very good for Everton last year. They Tottenham paid a nice chunk of change for him, and they're hoping that he is very good for Tottenham this year. And he can play in all sorts of spots across the front three. And that's the flexible aspect that I'm trying to get to with this team. I think that's one of the biggest advantages that Conte has, because Son is comfortable playing in, in a front two. He can play in a front three. Harry Kane is maybe the he's not the most well-rounded number nine in the world but he's very very close he can drop in and, and create there were games last season where he was basically Tottenham's primary chance creator and that's not necessarily what you want but having a player who can do that stuff is hugely valuable and then where Charleston can play in a front two he can play in a front three he can be a number nine up top if you need him to be I, I think Conte has a lot of value in that flexible front three or front two depending on the game looking at the transfer activity around this team no real major losses. Steven Bergwijn going to Ajax is is notable, 
but he wasn't a key contributor for this team last season, certainly in terms of production. Incoming players, I already mentioned, were Charleston coming from Everton. Graham, you mentioned Yves Basuma when talking about Brighton yesterday. He is in from Brighton to Tottenham and could very much be a regular starter and a regular for Tottenham this year. He's central midfielder. He's going to work well. He can do do the job in either a midfield two or a midfield three. Again, there's some flexibility there. You also look at Ivan Perisic coming in from Inter and then Clement Longley coming in from Barcelona. I don't know exactly what Longley's role is going to be this year, but Perisic I could see getting a nice chunk of minutes at left wing back. He'll be, a, I think, a relatively important player for Tottenham this year. There's a lot to like about this team. I think there's a ton of talent here. I think they have strengthened in the transfer window to try and keep themselves in and around that top four or, or even maybe moving up to third. I don't think anybody's catching Chelsea this year for third, as I predicted yesterday, basically, in my VSP. But I do think Tottenham has the ability, maybe more than any other club in the Premier League right now, to break up that top three and get in right underneath City and get underneath right under uh, right underneath Liverpool as well. So I'm going for Tottenham, and then uh, I think they have a good good chance to make it into that top four that's that's the basic background as far as VSP goes I think Tottenham's forwards which I I spent a lot of time talking about in this preview will have the second most goals of any forward group in the league so when I say forward group I'm kind of talking about everyone who could be considered a forward in the squad so Son, Kane, Richarlison, Lucas Mora could could uh, tap in a couple goals and Kuliszewski as well I'm counting him as a forward even though he's he's kind of a forward wing back hybrid I think they'll be behind City or Liverpool but not both. And I don't know how that's going to go. Maybe it is Darwin Nunez that struggles to adapt more than I think. Maybe Liverpool really miss Mane and they don't have the same production. Maybe it's City with Erling Haaland not quite adapting and they can't quite fill in all the goals that have left through Sterling and through Gabriel Jesus. But that's my prediction. I'm really high on Tottenham's forward group. So I'm going with Richarlison, Kane, Son, Mora, Kulusevsky, whoever's in that, in, in that position group. I think they're going to combine for the second most goals of any forward group in the league. I like Tottenham this year, guys. Joe, I like your your optimism for Tottenham. Uh, I share it. I have them comfortably in my top four. Uh, and that was before I started doing my research on Nottingham Forest. I promise I will connect these dots. Uh, Forest <laughs> playing a 3-4-1-2. I should have mentioned that when discussing them. Uh, but one of their most important players last season, both on the defensive side, but definitely in the rapid transition to attack, the high pressing, and the scoring of goals, was uh, Jed Spence. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, it's D-J-E-D. Uh, but they were not able... He he was on loan for Middlesbrough last season. They were not able to bring him back, and that was a thing that they tried to do. And I'm now realizing the reason they could not bring him back is because Tottenham could offer way more money. And so he has been signed by them this season, and I think slots in perfectly to the way Antonio Conte wants to play. Played it last season, was the kind of spark for Nottingham Forest last year, and I expect will be a big performer for Spurs this year. So that's another sort of underrated name uh, to get excited about if you are a Spurs fan. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Joseph, for that Tottenham roundup. Let's move on to West Ham, or as they were called uh, where I grew up around Cockney people, West Ham. Uh, Seventh last season and in the Europa League semifinals, of course. Uh, They're now going to have to play in the Europa Conference League this season. That might hamper their league form a little bit, so that's a consideration for West Ham um, this season. But they are very consistent under David Moyes, and they've got plenty to build upon from those uh, last two top seven finishes, seventh and sixth in the last two seasons. Um, So they're going to be relying on that consistency despite I'm going to call it a slightly aging team they've got here but you know Moyes' teams we know all about them very well drilled he likes his 4-2-3-1 does David Moyes uh, in terms of departures uh, Yarmolenko and Ryan Fredericks have both left uh, they have managed to keep their star player so far Declan Rice who I'm labeling as their star player who's now captain of West Ham after Mark Noble's retirement their big big signing 
has come in the form of a striker from Italy, uh, born and raised in Rome, come from Sassuolo. His name is Gianluca Scamaccia. Uh, he uh, has an excellent uh, intro video, uh, which was done in the style of uh, Football Italia, an old UK show, uh, which I recommend you check out on the socials. Uh, they have relied heavily, of course, on Mikel Antonio previously, and I think that's something we pointed out last season. They would struggle relying on Antonio, as they have done for a while, but that's worked so far. But now they have uh, some Italian backup there. He's going to relieve the burden. He got 16 goals in Serie A last season, very much a breakout season for him, earning him this move to East London. Uh, they've got Nervegaard, who they brought in a centre-back from Rennes. Uh, but unfortunately, he got injured in a preseason game uh, against Rangers. Uh, he's got a, an ankle injury. He had surgery on his ankle, so he's going to be presumably out for a few weeks and not fortifying that back line just yet. Uh, I'll re-emphasise that Declan Rice is the star player. For me, he's kind of the glue that holds the team together, the best player, one of England's best players too. He's likely going to be central to uh, Gareth Southgate's plans in Qatar. Uh, Aaron Cresswell, easy for me to say, is a lot of fun uh, set pieces particularly, so um, Joe, uh, maybe consider him as a bargain option for your fancy team, uh, I'd be my suggestion. Uh, Very specific prediction time for West Ham. I think they're going to score more than 60 goals, but no more than 65 goals. Uh, I'm playing on David Moyes' consistency here. 60 goals last season, so I think they're going to score more this season with the added firepower of Scamacha coming in. Uh, 62 goals the season before, uh, so they like living in that range. I don't. If you start getting more than 65 goals, then you're knocking on the top four, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that much, but I think they're going to be consistent and score more than they did last season. Now... They could be the kind of team that knocks on the top seven, as they did, as they have done for the last two seasons. I think they they had the, the ability to be as consistent. Um, it's all about holding Declan Rice, which I think looks like they're going to do so far, having made him captain, having tempted him so far. So uh, good things for West Ham, in my opinion. I think they've got a good season ahead of them. Any more for any more on West Ham before we move on to our final team? Good. Wolves. Taylor, tell us about them. I will. I'm excited to get to talk about Wolves, uh, late co-host Daryl Groves' uh, favorite club in England and in the world. Uh, But I feel, uh, like, duty-bound to do a realistic preview of them. And they're another team, I think, like, we've talked about a few teams like this, where I'm not quite sure what to expect because last season was, like, bang on middle. And I don't think that will work this year, but I'm not sure how they improve upon what they did last year. Uh, Tenth in the table uh, in the preceding Premier League campaign, 51 points, uh, 38 goals for, 43 against, so negative five goal difference. That's a very neutral season in my mind. Like 10th, you have about the same goals uh, for and against. Uh, and it was a sort of pragmatic approach from Bruno Lage in the Bruno Lage, excuse me, in his first season in charge. But he was brought in to take things to the next level uh, after Nuno was let go. And I don't think that has happened quite yet. Uh, especially so when you look at their final nine games of the uh, last campaign. One win, two draws, six losses. And the debate remains if that was just a sort of sort of blip because their safety was secure, but they knew they weren't going to finish all that high? Or was that the start of a decline? And I would argue the start of a decline was a couple years ago, because you look at them when they first come into the Premier League, 47 goals, the season after that it's 51, then it's 36, and then it's 38. Big chances have dropped, XG has dropped, and it's really not a positive trend in the way that they've been attacking in their chance creation, and I think that they will need to rectify that, certainly if they want to improve upon last 
last year. But the question is, how do they do that? And it hasn't really been investment. They've only made uh, one permanent signing that wasn't already there. Uh, Huang Hee-chan was made permanent. He had been on loan the season before. Nathan Collins is their one signing so far, defender from Burnley for about 20 million pounds. But that does give them a little bit of flexibility to change up the way they're going to play. Last season, they started in a back four, quickly reverted to a back five because that gave them the sort of stability they needed. This season, in preseason, they've been going with a back four because, again, they want to be more proactive. They want to be more attacking. So it seems like they will be attempting to play in a 4-2-3-1 and sticking with that, the problem then becomes depth. With the five-sub rule coming back, they do not have a ton of depth already. That sort of exposes that lack of depth further. Um, There's a chance they will have up to 10 players at the World Cup, so that's going to hurt them on the fatigue side. They're already missing Raul Jimenez. He missed... A ton of time with the uh, the skull fracture, was back last season, but didn't really catch the form that we've come to expect from him. Uh, picked up an MCL adductor strain, will be out for the start of the season this time around, so they don't have him. They don't have a ton of reinforcements, so they're sort of the same team, but expecting different results. And that's where I say I come back around to being sort of flummoxed by what they're going to be able to do. As I said, it's going to be a 4-2-3-1, we would expect. It'll be Johnny at right back, Collins and Kilman in the middle, uh, Ryan Eithnori, more on him in a second, at left back. We'll have uh, Ruben Nevsh, if he is still there. Seems like he will be, but maybe Man United turn their attention elsewhere, and he ends up playing uh, for Man United. But if he doesn't, it's Ruben Nevsh and John Moutinho in the middle. It would probably have been Daniel Podenz in the middle with Neto and uh, Gibbs-White on either side of him. With that injury to Rao Jimenez, that means uh, Neto moves into the attack. Daniel Podense moves to left wing, and likely uh, uh, Dendonker comes in and plays centrally. But it's Ryan Aitnori that I want to focus on. My prediction for him and for Wolves is that he will have uh, the most assists he has ever had in a season, which isn't that strong of a prediction, but it's still indicative of how I think this one goes. Last season, uh, Aitnori had really strong numbers in terms of progressive carries, dribbles completed, and touches in the attacking zone. Joe, I hope I just sort of piqued your interest there. You did. Uh, You did. But even better numbers for pressures and tackles. However, passing numbers and expected assists, not great. Uh, Didn't help that Wolves, like, sort of weren't able to kick into that high gear, didn't get the attacking opportunities that would have maybe allowed him to improve that. So he only had two assists last year, one in the season before that, and he only had three in total in his three seasons with Angers in the French League. So I think in total he has six assists in his entire career. So I'm expecting him to get at least three. So that's a a marked improvement on what he has done so far. But I think he has been a standout performer for them in preseason. He has been heavily involved in facilitating more attacking play, in covering that wing to allow Bietneto, Bietpotense to, to operate more centrally. And I think he's going to be given a lot of license on that side. We'll see if that remains the case, if they're in a back four, if, if he ends up having to do more defensive stuff. But I think ultimately he'll be a very important part of that attack. I think he'll have the most assists he's ever had in his career. And I think he probably gets a lot of transfer speculation as the season goes on because he is still very young eligible for France, eligible for, I think, Algeria. Uh, but I think right now is very much focused on his club career, and I think that very much benefits Wolves. Marvelous stuff. 
20 Premier League teams preview. Thank you very much, gents. One thing left to do, a quick round the houses. I would like, this is Joe's favourite thing, we do every episode, uh, predictions. Uh, I want to hear your top four and your three relegated teams. I'll go first. My top four in order. Man City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea. And my relegated teams in 20th, Bournemouth, in 19th, Fulham, in 18th, Southampton. Oh, Graham, Graham, you sold me on it. You sold me on it with the, they're either terrible or they're fantastic. I feel like this is yeah. something tells so, me my bones. Graham, what do you think? Your, your bottom three is exactly the same down to the position as mine. 20th Bournemouth, 19th Fulham, 18th Southampton, Everton just scraping by. And then I think Leeds will also be in that mix, but will be safe. My, my top four in order is Liverpool champions, City second, Spurs third. I think Spurs will be part of that that pack. I think Liverpool will have a little bit of distance between them and City. Nothing outrageous, but maybe five, six points. And then I think City and Spurs will be relatively close, but I think City will finish second. Spurs third, fourth Arsenal, fifth Chelsea, sixth Manchester United. I knew we didn't ask for fifth and sixth, but I just gave you anyway. Thank you very much for the bonus content, Graham. Uh, Joe, how do you feel? I feel good about all of this. Uh, Liverpool <laughs> winning the title, <laughs> City finishing second, Chelsea third, Tottenham fourth. I kind of laid out all of that actually over the course of the last two episodes. So that's not doing too much new uh, ground staking on my part. And then as far as the relegation battle goes, I have Everton in 18th, Fulham in 19th, and Bournemouth in 20th. Okay, so we've all gone for Bournemouth, bottom of the pile so far. Once again, apologies, Bournemouth fans. Uh, Taylor, do you concur? I guess so. It feels weird. Yeah, I guess I just don't love relegating Fulham uh, because I want Fulham to stay up. It also feels very weird to have you don't Everton have to. In you, I you know can I do. Don't, you don't have you to. Have free agency. It's here. what they do, though. But it's it's just it really is. You look at, at at a lot of the teams that I think I expect to be obviously like the top half of the table sort of uh, picks itself, or at least is strong enough that we would expect them to be comfortable. It's basically, there's just a lot of very good teams. So then, like, I look at, like, Leicester to begin this show. Like, maybe Leicester have that fall because other teams are improving the way they have been. Newcastle, the team that we would always have in the bottom, near the bottom of the table, I don't think that's they'll be close to that. I don't think Nottingham Forest will be up there, even though that they historically the team that wins the promotion playoff can struggle when they do get promoted. So I think, yeah, it's probably Bournemouth, it's probably Fulham, and then it's probably someone in that Everton-Southampton-Leeds grouping. I think I will pick Everton. I I think it's going to be a rough season, and I think, as I said in my preview, unless they start very strongly, I don't see how it improves. Uh, So I've gone negative first. Positive, I will say Liverpool, City, Spurs, Arsenal. That's my top four. Right, some love for Arsenal in the top four. Uh, Gunners fans will be pleased to hear that. We shall see, time shall tell. But in the meantime, we should wrap this one up. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you. Sorry for pontificating on that relegation spot. I hadn't picked those, and I'm still sort of flummoxed by that whole situation. <laughs> Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always. Right back at you, Ryan. And Graham, let's uh, head to a Nottingham wine mixer at some point. What do you say? <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, thank you so much. We'll be back on the feed soon. But for now, bye!
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.